0: Throughout time, otherwise ordinary people have received extraordinary glimpses into the future. Whether these premonitions come through vivid dreams or strong gut feelings, their messages bear serious consideration. Some who have heeded the warnings lived on to tell of their brushes with fate, while others who have ignored them died wishing they hadn't. Join me as we explore sensing the future on this episode of The Supernatural Explorer. Hey, Supernatural Explorers! Welcome to Episode 34, Sensing the Future, Part 1, A Matter of Life and Death. Did you ever have the gut feeling about something that then came true? Or better yet, a dream about something, complete with images, sounds, feelings, details, etc., that you then watched play out before your eyes, much to your surprise? The answer to either or both of these is probably yes. As crazy as the idea of sensing the future may first sound, turns out it may be one of the most common of all the paranormal experiences. In reading about it, talking to people about it, and thinking about my own personal experiences, I'm learning this to be the truth. As I mentioned last show, I'd recently purchased the Kindle version of Ingo Swann's 1993 book, Your Nostradamus Factor, Accessing Your Innate Ability to See into the Future. Just a few pages into the book, I knew I was doing an episode on all the interesting things I was learning. And now that I'm a quarter of the way into the book, I already have part one of what will be at least a two-part series. Ingo Swann does a great job of teasing everything out and breaking it all down with regards to sensing the future. Like is done with close encounters of different kinds, Ingo describes future sensing in terms of different kinds. Future sensing of the first kind is when you have a spontaneous dream that then becomes true and the foreseen event could be days or years later. I know I've shared my experience where I dreamed that my friend Chuck's family came in for a surprise visit from Florida to my friend Mike's house. The afternoon after that dream, I had plans to go to the city, but canceled when Mike called me to tell me that Chuck's family was at his house for a visit. The only detail that was different was that in my dream, my dad was there too. My very intuitive friend Marie, among her many psychic dreams, had one that saved her grandfather's life. In real life her granddad was suffering from back pains and issues that wouldn't go away. The docs couldn't figure out exactly what was wrong and they gave him morphine patches and other painkillers but nothing was really helping. Marie then had a dream where her granddad was lying in bed with his illness, then her dead grandmother walks in and tells Marie that he has a stomach ulcer and he could die if he doesn't stop taking the pills get the right meds. When she woke, she told her mum that morning, and she listened and had him checked out again. The docs confirmed that he did indeed have a stomach ulcer, and it was healed with the right meds. In his book, Ingo tells the story of someone he knew, a neurology PhD student from NYU, who didn't believe in any of this future seeing or other paranormal stuff. Occult garbage, he called it and he was confused by a dream he had where he was driving his son somewhere and a truck ran an intersection, smashing their car and killing his son. The PhD student was looking at the dream from a psychological perspective, I guess. Could this mean he subconsciously wished his son dead, etc. Ingo had him exploring the details of the dream and the man said he remembered the landscape looking like the surface of the moon an area he'd never seen before and didn't make any sense to him. Five years later, the man's driving with his son on a road trip through Arizona when he starts to notice that the area looks just like the moonscape from his dream. It catches him by such surprise that he pulls over to process his shock. Just then he sees an 18-wheeler blow through the intersection in front of them and realizes had he not stopped, his son and maybe even him too would have been surely killed. Part of the reason I felt so moved to do this episode before I finished the book is knowing that people do indeed have spontaneous dreams about the future. For those who blow them off, they may not heed the warnings that they are being given. For some, the dreams can appear multiple times on different nights, But if they are of the mindset that dreams as warnings are occult garbage, they could needlessly suffer what very well may be avoided. Knowledge is power here. So that's future sensing of the first kind, spontaneous dreams, which are nice because they at least give you some processing time, whether it just be the morning you wake, a few days, or even a few years future sensing of the second kind is a spontaneous feeling, seeing, hearing, or knowing while you are awake. And contrary to the dreams, these seem to usually compel more immediate action. A few stories that stand out to me from the book are when Ingo himself was once about to cross what looked like a clear street in the city. But right before he stepped from the curb, he heard a voice in his head yell, STOP! He listened and a second later, a speeding car that was being chased by the cops went whizzing past him, so close that the wind from the passing cars knocked him back. Had he taken that step, he would have been killed. Another story from the book, a woman was eating lunch inside somewhere, and she got the sudden urge to run out to the street. She brushed it off at first because it seemed crazy. When the strong urge came again, she followed it. After she ran outside, the ceiling above where she was sitting and eating came crashing down, killing some of the other diners. In another story, a man was out hiking with his wife in an area on a trail that was new to both of them. At one point, the man got a very strong urge that they should turn around and go another way. His wife talked him out of it, saying this was the trail that was recommended and they should just keep going. He agreed. And a bit further down the trail, a rock gave way where he stepped and the man fell to his death. That one's horrible, but again why I feel so strongly about this episode. Whatever mechanisms are at play that give us all access to the future, they sometimes come through as spontaneous urges that are trying to save our lives. Knowing these warnings are real and have saved or cost people their lives, makes it certainly worth considering and being knowledgeable about. Especially since, as Ingle points out, that future sensing of the second kind that comes through a spontaneous strong urges while we are awake usually require you to overcome your otherwise rational thinking. It then becomes the spontaneous sense versus your rational mind like the woman eating lunch inside, could have chosen to listen to her rational mind that running into the street was ridiculous, in which case she might have been killed, or the man hiking with his wife could have chose to stick to his guns and follow his gut and redirected them both, even though it may have seemed irrational to him and his wife to do so. I don't have any life or death future sensings of the second kind that I know of, but I do remember a gut feeling for bad things my friends and I developed around installing above ground pools. It was a job we did together for many years in the summers during high school and college. This all started when with one job we had, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. When we finally finished that job and we were driving home, we were surprised to learn that at least two of us had an irrational sense of doom before the job started, that things were going to go wrong. And no doubt there was at least one more job like that, where one or more of us had bad gut feelings about the job before it started, but didn't say anything to each other till after. And I totally understand why it took at least two times for us to realize that we should listen to our guts. All the jobs we did were booked about two weeks in advance, People, especially kids, were excited when we showed up to install their pools, and if we didn't work that day, none of us made any money. To override all that without logical reason seemed, well, it seemed crazy. Until we realized it was even crazier and more costly to ignore our gut feelings. So, after the second time we agreed, no matter how irrational it seemed, if someone had a gut feeling about any jobs, they were to speak up. We even called this future sensing ability Pool Installer's Intuition. After that, if one of us had a bad feeling before a job, it was no surprise that at least one more of us was feeling the same thing. And I clearly remember apologizing and explaining to customers that after years of doing this, we've learned to trust our intuition and we needed to cancel the installation. I don't remember anyone getting angry with us. I don't think people knew how to process what I was telling them, but I have no doubt we avoided some hellish jobs that way. What I especially love about many future sensings of the second kind, those intuitions that are about the moment at hand, is that there is science to also back up their validity. The HeartMath Institute, a nonprofit organization out in California, has performed experiments that prove our hearts can see at least a solid 5 seconds into the future. And when it comes to matters of life or death, 5 seconds can be a lot of time. How did HeartMath prove this? They performed experiments where they flashed people random images about every 15 seconds while they monitored their vital signs. The images were either of a neutral nature, like pictures of a landscape, Were meant to provoke some kind of reaction, like the close-up of a snake's mouth wide open, about to attack. What they found is that people's heart rates would drop about 5 seconds before they were shown the more shocking pictures, pointing to the fact that not only were their hearts reacting to the future, but they were predicting the future, predicting that the random picture would be shocking. Since we don't walk around hooked up to heart monitors, and most of us are not in tune with the subtle nuances of our hearts, some survival instinct inside us makes sure the signal is received via our guts, strong urges, or seeing or hearing warnings seemingly out of nowhere. And while my pool installer's intuition story wasn't necessarily a survival instinct, it does relate to future sensing of the third kind, communal warnings that are spontaneous. Warnings that are experienced by one or more people at or around the same time. Ingo has a lot of these stories in his book that are amazing but are becoming, to me anyway, less surprising. Ingo grew up in a mountain town where avalanches of dirt and stone were common. What he also realized was common that he didn't remember until he started researching for his book was that most of the tragedy around these spontaneous avalanches were avoided because many in the community had premonitions, but most importantly shared and listened to their premonitions. In other words, they knew with almost to the minute accuracy when the events would occur. And while this may sound surprising, even unbelievable to some, The more you hear and learn about sensing the future, the more you realize this is an innate ability in all of us. Because in our day and age, us paranormal people are seen as the oddballs and on the fringes. What we say isn't mainstream or even listened to by many, unless you are talking to a fellow paranormal person. We know who to tell our stories to, and who to act normal around. During Ingo's childhood and in his community back in the day, sharing such things wasn't just a way of life, but a means of survival. Because it was considered normal, people felt free to share, and when what enough people shared overlapped, they knew they were being given a heads up, and they listened. So a typical morning preceding an event in Ingo's town, after enough people shared overlapping dreams about an upcoming avalanche, This might include calls to occupants in the area where they saw it happening. So if it was to happen by the school, the principal would be called and the children would be let out early. Then before the time everyone felt like it would occur, people would start to set up chairs along Main Street facing in that direction so they could watch it happen before resuming normal life again. When I was reading about Ingo's childhood town and how open they were about receiving, sharing, and listening to premonitions, especially when he mentioned the school, it made me think of an episode of The Crown that I had watched on Netflix. It was the one that covered the true story of a coal mining town in Wales where in 1966 a huge avalanche of waste from the mining slid down into the valley and onto the elementary school below killing over a hundred children and over a dozen adults." I thought about how great that would have been if they could have foreseen and prevented that the way Ingo's community foresaw and prevented tragedies. Sure enough, as I read on, Ingo mentioned that story. He went on to say that indeed it could have been prevented had sharing and listening to premonitions been a part of everyday life there. You see, a psychiatrist who had rushed to the scene to help the day of the tragic event, learned that at least three of the children who died had dreams about dying in black mud. Finding this interesting, the psychiatrist investigated further and found that at least 76 people had premonitions about the event, including the name of the town and that there were children in school uniforms dying. It was also known, from a logical standpoint, from miners and engineers, in hindsight, that they should have foreseen the tragedy because they were piling the waste too high. Combine all those details, even if they didn't foresee a date, they could have addressed the issue before it resulted in a national tragedy. But to anyone who gets looked at funny for sharing anything paranormal, it's not surprising that these warning premonitions weren't shared and heeded. It's either part of your way of life, like Ingo's case as a child, or it's not. As you may be gathering from listening to this episode, I'm of the opinion that sensing the future, when kept in the closet, is a terrible waste of our innate survival instinct. And again, I can understand that, in and of itself, people feeling free to share their premonition dreams and overwhelming gut feelings can be a lot to expect, especially when it's not supported by society in general. But when there is scientific data to back things up, it does bear serious consideration. Beyond heart math and their scientific findings with individuals and hearts being able to provide five-second warnings, There are also scientific findings regarding Global Consciousness and instruments being able to provide up to 24-hour warnings on tragedies. Sounds crazy, but it's absolutely true. Here I'm talking about the Global Consciousness Project or GCP. This was originally created in Princeton Engineering Anomalies Research Lab at Princeton University and is now housed at the Institute of Noetic Sciences. What they have found through experimentation is that random number generators are affected by events that affect global consciousness. They have these random number generators placed all over the world that they call eggs that essentially graph the flipping of coins multiple times per second. The graph is mostly steady because the flipping of coins over time will statistically be 50-50. What they first found is that during major global events, the graph dramatically deviates spikes from what is natural, normal, and expected. Among the first global spikes they noticed was when Princess Diana was killed. If that's not remarkable enough, that the statistical norm of a machine can be affected by consciousness, they later discovered that spikes would sometimes occur up to 24 hours before an event occurred, as was the case with the 2004 Indian Ocean earthquake and tsunami that killed well over 200,000 people in 14 countries. Other times, spikes have occurred four hours before, as was the case with the 9-11 crashes. As amazing as this all is, the spikes are only a very small part of the picture a spike could occur tomorrow and the machines wouldn't be able to provide any of the really important information like what is going to happen and where, but we the people would certainly be able to provide that information. Because it doesn't matter if people believe in this stuff or not, belief does not prevent people from having detailed spontaneous premonition dreams about the future. It only keeps them from sharing what they have seen. I can't help but think how wonderful it would be if there was a network or an app where when the GCP eggs showed spikes, people had a place where they could share their premonitions. It sometimes only takes one premonition to provide all the details needed, though multiple premonitions with many overlapping details could very well help to prevent future tragedies. I know my sister-in-law, who isn't otherwise psychic at all, had a 9-11-related dream the night before 9-11 happened, and I wonder how many others had premonition dreams or gut feelings? And how many acted on them or just ignored them? Until the sharing and listening to spontaneous premonitions becomes more acceptable and mainstream, I am hopeful there still exists rational and mostly reliable people who experience future sensings of the fourth and final kind, and that's intentional, consciously controlled future seeing. This, albeit way rarer than the spontaneous versions, is still a skill that has been possessed and practiced by people, and can be learned and practiced by people. But, sorry to leave you hanging. More on that one whenever I get around to part two of this multi-part series, and read more of the book. As I said in the beginning, I'm only a quarter of the way into Ingo's book and learning a lot. As I learn more, I promise I'll share more. In the meantime, please, pay attention to your dreams and your gut feelings. They may be trying to tell you something, warn you of something, or save your life. Or like what happened to Ingo, they may be trying to give you a little bonus, and I'll end with this story. Ingo once had a dream, three nights in a row, telling him to buy stock in Madison Square Garden. It was the early 60s and I guess MSG wasn't a big deal back then, and Ingo knew nothing about stocks. So even though he had this dream three nights in a row, his rationalizations prevented him from acting. At the time, the stock was selling for 33 cents a share. Less than six weeks later, plans were announced to build a new MSG and the stock jumped from 33 cents to $35. Ouch. Well, that's really it for this episode. Until next time, everyone, peace.